Tonight's episode of This Was a Thing turns the clock back to November 1972. Since it deals with that uncompromising, enterprising, anything but tranquilizing right on mod, as she contemplates becoming the first and almost the only TV character since to have an abortion. You may wish to refrain from listening to it if you believe the broadcast may disturb you or others in your family, or if you're really confused as to how this 50-year-old TV show just became frighteningly relevant again. This was a thing, this was a thing, this was a thing. Do you remember Patty Hearst's kidnapping? This was a thing, pretty much Atari. Deep Throat Roots and Ted Bundy. Hanoi Jane, Celebrity Bowling. That was a thing. Bobby Fisher, Blackouts, Betty Ellen, Fallen, Dolly and Marie, Rich Little and Billie Jean King. Hi, I'm Ray. And I'm Rob. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. On today's episode, we are looking at two episodes of the 1970s television series Maud, entitled Maud's Dilemma Part 1. And two, I love a two-parter. Now, why these two episodes, you might ask? Well, in 1972, Maud was going to do something no other sitcom character had ever done before, something that was still illegal in most of the country. Maud was going to have an abortion. Now, this was a thing because these two episodes were going to bring the topic of a woman's right to choose into the living rooms of just about every household in America. One third of the country, when all was said and done, watched these two episodes. Oh, wow. A third of the country. Holy smokes. Now, in full disclosure, when Ray and I were first coming up with the idea of this show and we were pitching possible topics back and forth to each other, I thought, why don't we cover the episode where Maud has an abortion and then i realized it's 2022 this is a done deal nobody's going to want to hear about this thing and how little did i know because as we're recording this episode we do not know what the supreme court is going to do no idea but maud sort of foreshadowed a little bit of what was going on it's interesting how much we move forward sometimes we're moving back at the same time now what was maud you might ask maud was the brainchild of trailblazing producer norman lear who's still alive as of, as of this recording a tv producer who wanted to use television to push the envelope of what could be talked about on tv now before lear got on the scene tv was incredibly safe especially if you were a female character there was lucy ricardo begging her husband to be on the show and laura petrie going oh rob <laughs> just robbing her way to the hearts of her husband as the feminist movement began to take hold in this country a move that was teaching women that they should be working they didn't have to build their lives around a man television had to reflect that in some way but who who could turn the world on with their smile <laughs> Yes, it's Mary Tyler Moore, the woman who brilliantly played second fiddle to Dick Van Dyke on his TV show. She's going to get her own show on CBS in 1970. And this was pretty revolutionary. She would be a single woman by choice. No. Yes. So Mary would play a, a woman named Mary Richards, a woman whose career was more important than the need to find a husband. Now, the focus was on her as an independent working woman. But even though the show was groundbreaking in that element, it was still like a workplace comedy that gently tackled any domestic issues with a smile. There were like no voices raised, no soapbox moments, just adorable characters slowly pushing the envelope open. Change takes time, they say. Lear wanted to see if he could blend the political act activism and dialogues he was seeing in live theater into a televised format. Green Acres was not discussing Vietnam, nor were the Beverly Hillbillies looking at voter suppression, although I would love to have seen those episodes. <laughs> Jane, I found balance in the cement pond. Luckily, Lear had the support of, here he comes, folks, everyone's favorite, CBS's Fred Silverman. Oh, baby. Who was more- Friend of the show, Fred who was, Silverman. Who was more than happy in 1970 to do what was known as- 
The, the Rural Purge. Which was to eliminate any show with a tree in it and replace <laughs> it with more sophisticated fare. And Lear was the perfect person to fill some of those slots. Lear was entranced by a British TV comedy called Till Death Do Us Part. And it was about an East End couple, blue collar conservatives, sharing their house with her daughter and son-in-law who were very snobby liberals. And they engaged in discussing hot button issues at the time. It was such a refreshing way to not only learn about a topic, but to hear both sides of the argument with humor. Lear was like, I'm going to take that show and put it on in America. So in 1971, for CBS, he created... All in the Family. Which would now be about a Queens couple. He, a working class conservative with little education, and his wife, a ditzy trusting woman, living with their liberal daughter and academic son-in-law. Norman Lear said, quote, My fight is to get a funny script on a subject that is adult and meaningful. I enjoy stirring feelings, even negative feelings, because I think that is what theater is about. It's marvelous to know you've engage the feelings of millions of people. Now, to make it even more like a play, and this is why I think it's hard for some people to watch these TV shows today, Lear cast established stage actors, not TV actors. He lit the set to make it look flat and bright like a stage set, so there's like mm -hmm. literally no contrast. He filmed it in front of a live audience, which was not how sitcoms were being done back really? then. Really? Well, think about it. Like, think of all the TV shows from the 60s. Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, Andy oh, Griffith. it was all super, it was all laugh track. And then, it yeah. was all laugh track, but it was all like, it was like, it was filmed like a film. So when did they stop doing audiences? Like, like Stop doing audiences? Well, I mean, like, because I know, like, it, the Lucy, like, I Love Lucy had an audience and stuff. I Love Lucy had an audience. Some of them had audiences, but really, like, in the mid-60s to late 60s. Got it. That's when they were like, we want to move away from studio audience. That's just so hillbilly. That's so hillbilly. But he was going to put it in front of an audience and let things play out just like a play, very slow, very expository. And he even, now this is where it gets weird, he encouraged the actors to play beyond the camera to the live audience. Okay. He's like, ignore the cameras, yeah. go to the back of the house. So one of the problems I think when you watch it today is you might go, God, they feel so Over, large yeah, and yeah, broad. Yeah, totally. It's what he was encouraging. I, I mean, I literally was going to say that makes sense why Carol O'Connor and stuff was oh, he's all, it means just so... So loud. Yeah, so loud and so animated. You know what I mean? Yes. Just animated nope, yeah. and everyone. I, but... Yeah, that totally makes sense. So January 11th, 1970, All in the Family was on CBS as a mid-season replacement. From the first episode, people were shocked and in love. In fact, the first 13 episodes featured incredibly topical discussions that you were not supposed to speak about in mixed company. Now, please remember what people had just seen on TV. Lucy, like, falling down a conveyor belt. Jed Clampett shooting up some oil. <laughs> Compare that with criticizing the president. Race when it comes to donating blood. Homosexuality. Miscarriage. Women's liberation and Vietnam. That was the first season. I want to give you a sample here of the political activism that was on this show. So this is Carol O'Connor as Archie Bunker, who was the lead of the show. This is a conversation they're having about gun control. Archie and his son-in-law. 50 years ago. Yeah, here we go. What do guns have to do with maleness? Duke Wayne, buddy. What? Clint Westwood there, buddy. What are you talking about? Harry yeah. Cooper, Sergeant yeah, yeah, yeah. I could go on and on and on, but it do do no good because talking to you is like casting players into wine. <laughs> All I know is it's an American and it's my right to pack a rod. Bull! What do you mean? Both to the Constitution? It doesn't say that in the Constitution. I'll just prove it to you. I got a copy of it here in my history book. I will. It's right there in your second amendment. All right, here it is. Amendment two, I'll read it to you. I'll read nothing. I can read myself. What does it say? Here, here, here. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Read that. Wait a second. You didn't read all of it. I read it you all. You did not. Look, look. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. A militia, Arch, that's what it says right there. Listen, buddy, I don't pay no attention to no constitution and them pinko books of yours. <laughs> Tell me that you would not hear this discussion today on either Fox News or MSNBC. Oh, no other show would have no. brought up the concept of masculinity and comparing masculinity with guns. No, the show didn't do very well when it first came on, but in summer reruns, people found the show. They really loved it, especially Carol O'Connor's Archie Bunger, which is probably one of the greatest television performances of all time. Half the country laughed at his uneducated statements and thought him a loudmouth buffoon. The other half cheered him on for telling it like it was <sighs> and created posters that read Archie Bunker for president. 
Now, Norman Lear thought it would be fun in the second season to bring on a character who could go toe-to-toe with Archie, but from a liberal perspective. Just one episode where the audience got to see Archie spar with an equal partner. She would be named Cousin Maud, and she would have to come live with the Bunkers while they all suffered from the flu. She's going to come and play nurse. And of course, while there, she and Archie would just go at each other. But who to play Cousin Maud? Uh. That's easy. Norman Lear knew exactly who he wanted, a Tony Award-winning stage actress that was beloved in New York, but literally known nowhere else. Her name... Beatrice Arthur. We probably know her today as Dorothy from the Golden Girls, but before that, B. Arthur was a five foot ten actress with a baritone voice and a commanding presence and a brilliant comic ability. She stole the show on Broadway as Yenta the Matchmaker in uh. Fiddler on the Roof, and then walked away with a Tony Award for her performance as the vain alcoholic actress Vera Charles in the musical Mame. So on December eleventh, nineteen seventy one, America met Cousin Maud. And it was a home run episode. B was brilliant and seemed to be the only person who was a match for Carol O'Connor in terms of intensity and timing. Here's a section of them going head to head. Archie has found Maud sitting in his chair. Maud, if you don't get out of that chair, you know, I got a way to make you very, very upset. Archie, please. Stay out of this now, Edith. Come on, Maud, last chance. You're going to get out of there? Get lost. I got the secret weapon that can lay this little lady right away. Here we go. This country was ruined by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. (laughs) You're fat. People adored him. He was a saint. That man had charisma. I don't care if he was sick. He always had his big mouth open at them fireside chats. Those fireside chats kept this country informed. He sold us out to Joe Stalin at Gibraltar. They met at the altar. He sold us out there, too. <laughs> he handed all of Europe over to the Ruskies on a silver platter. I don't want to argue with you no more, Maud. And I got my chair back. <laughs> Archie, you can have your chair. Only don't move around too much. You'll crush your brains. While the episode is on the air, literally on the air, Norman Lear gets a phone call from William Paley, the head of CBS, who says, whoever that woman is, get her her own TV show now. So the head of CBS saying she can have whatever show she wants, that's a pretty good review. And Lear decides to create a TV show around... Maud, the opposite end of the spectrum than Archie, and could and this show now could tackle more domestic issues as opposed to All in the Family, which was about these large political issues like sure. you just heard. So in this series, Maud would live in the upscale Tuckahoe, New York, on her fourth marriage. Her husband, Walter, ran a chain of appliance stores. She had a daughter, Carol, from a previous marriage who was a liberated adult woman. She was a divorcee raising her child as a single mother. And the child was named Philip. Now, next door would be the conservative widower, Dr. Arthur Harmon, who would be Maud's nemesis, and her friend, Vivian. They could commiserate together. Oh, and there'd be a wisecracking maid named Florida who would chime in with a thought occasionally. Now, the pilot was a backdoor pilot, which means it was done on an episode as All in the Family. And in the premise of that one, Carol, the daughter, terminates her upcoming wedding because her fiancé says Carol won't work once they get married, which is not something they had discussed. And Carol's like, no, I need to be a working independent woman. I can't marry you. Okay. The pilot is a huge success. And on September 12th, 1972, Maud got her own show and a banger theme song. Lady Godiva was a freedom rider. She didn't care if the whole world looked. Joan of Arc with the Lord to guide her. She was a sister who really cooked. Isadora was the first bra burner. Angel that she showed her. The country was falling apart. Betsy Ross got it all sold up. And then there's Maud. Then there's Maud. And 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 then there's Maud. That 
compromising, enterprising, anything but tranquilizing. Right on and the show was a hit, a big alt hit. Everyone is going to watch this new show. Once again, Maud would tackle more domestic issues, things people were dealing with but they never discussed. So the first few episodes, episodes tackled <laughs> stigma about, ready for this? Once again, the first few episodes, yeah. get the fuck out. Mental health, age differences in dating, the corruption of the police and the medical field. I want to give you a sample of one of the shows. In this episode, she's hired a new maid named Florida who's black. And Maud has liberal guilt like you wouldn't believe. So she tells Florida, you can't come in through the back door. You have to come in through the front door. Don't call me Mrs. Finley. Call me Maud. Everyone here is on a first name basis. Let me make you lunch. Come eat lunch with us. And at two o'clock, we have martinis. So in this scene, Florida, played by the great Esther Roll, tells Maud, I can't take your liberal wokeness anymore. Look, I like doing my work, Mrs. Finley. But I don't like using the front door when the back door is closer. I don't like drinking martinis in the middle of the day. And what's more, I like to eat in the kitchen by myself. <laughs> Florida, you are a bigot. <laughs> I'm a what? You deny me my God-given right to be your equal. Listen, if I'm good enough to employ you, I'm good enough to eat with you. You want to run that around again? Like all in the family, this show is done like a play. Even on Broadway, if you saw these performances, you would go, this is too big. Anyway, for the ninth and tenth episode, it would be the first two-parter, and it was going to be a landmark moment in television history, and it all started because some writers were looking to make a quick buck. You see, there was an organization called Zero Population Growth, which offered $10,000 to a comedy that dealt specifically with population control. So the episode was going to be about Vivian, that's Maud's best friend, played by Rue McClanahan, okay. before they were on Golden Girls oh, together, funny. announcing she was pregnant, which would lead to a discussion about Walter, Maud's husband, getting a vasectomy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Lear read the script and said, no, 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 no. Vivian shouldn't be pregnant. Maud should be pregnant. What could happen? Well, she could have the baby, but then that changes the entire show. She could have had a false alarm, but that's a cop-out, according to Lear. She couldn't miscarry, because that just happened on All in the Family. And if you've never seen that episode of All in the Family, it's some of the best acting ever. What would a 47-year-old woman in real life do? Most likely, this character would have an abortion. Now, at this point, only one other character had had an abortion, and it was 1964 soap opera, Another World. Oh, wow. It was not called abortion. It was called an illegal operation. And her punishment for having an abortion is the character could never have kids. That was her punishment. The history of abortion in this country is not only quite complicated, it's still evolving as we record this. But in a nutshell, every state had abortion legislation by 1900. And that would obviously continue on as more states were added to the union. And it seemed more important than arresting the woman having the abortion was to arrest the person performing the abortion, which meant if you wanted an abortion, you would have to usually go undercover, putting your life in the hands of a seedy, unhygienic doctors who could kill you if you were not careful in back alleys. As time went on and women's rights began to move forward and people could understand why an abortion should happen if the pregnancy arrived from rape or incest, abortion looked like it could be a, a viable option. They're, they're willing to make compromises for incest, rape, right? At this time of the episode, abortion was legal in only five states, and each of those states had limitations on it. In 1970, New York, which is where Maud takes place, they allowed abortion uh, up until the 24th week of pregnancy, which Maud means Maud could have a legal, safe abortion if she wanted one. Not many others could afford that or be in a state that allowed it, but would Maud want one? This is a very sensitive topic. The episode had to be written with intelligence, humor, sensitivity. This was probably going to be the trickiest writing for a comedy show. How do you make abortion funny? And this was still season one? This was season one. This is episodes Jesus. nine and ten. Lear turned to a young comedy writer in their 30s to actually write the teleplay of Maud's Dilemma, which is what the episodes were called, Susan Harris. Now, you might go, where have I heard that name before? She created the Golden Girls. Oh, okay. Hey, friends, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, could you do us a favor? 
After you listen to today's episode, open up your podcast app and leave us a review. Please. The more reviews we get, the more people will discover us. And the more people that discover us, the less lost we'll feel. You're good, buddy. It's okay. Uh, look, nothing has ever been easier to do. Just go ahead and grab a pen real quick. It's okay. We'll wait. Don't worry. Okay. Head on over to your podcast app. Click those three dots in the lower right-hand corner. Click Go to Show. Scroll down till you see ratings and reviews, then leave us some stars and a comment or two so our parents know that it was worth all the tuition that they spent. And if you really love us, head on over to patreon.com and send us some money. And in return, you will get access to merch, special episodes, bonus content, pictures of me shirtless. Okay, okay, that's P-A-T. R-E-O-N dot com. Search This Was a Thing and help us out. But you know what? You've already helped us out today by listening to us, and we can't tell you how much we appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you. Now, CBS was very nervous about not only dealing with abortion, but it was a comedy, and the lead character was having the abortion. And a lot of people thought the lead character was already unlikable. It was sort of Archie Bunker syndrome in reverse, yeah. right? Three years ago, you have to remember what these executives were going through. Three years ago, these executives were discussing if Ava Gabar should let Arnold the pig ride the tractor. <sighs> now, they were discussing abortion. That's a pretty big leap. So why did they let Lear do it? The show was a hit, and he was invincible. The one thing that they did ask for, though, was to have a character in the episode represent someone who loved being a mother and loved having children. So that way you could see both sides of sure. that. You could tell, though, they were still nervous, and at the last second, the day before it was supposed to air, they called Lear and said, listen, uh, we're not going to air the episodes. And he said, you will air them, and if you don't, you can find something else in your shows to put on instead of Maud because he was going to pull the whole show from the network. So they said, okay. So the episode aired on November 14th and November 21st of 1972. And the premise is somewhat simple. Will Maud have the baby or won't she? So I'm going to walk you through highlighted moments of this episode just so you can get a full sense of the argument. In this scene, Maud has come home to her daughter, Carol, played by Adrian Barbeau, and her neighbor Viv, played by Rue McClanahan, and she's just come home from the doctor with some interesting news. Vivian, how long have we known each other? 22 years, 22 Ma. years. We've been through an awful lot together. A lot. Six husbands, your two, my four. <laughs> right. For 22 years, Vivian, we've been, we've been everything to each other. I mean, there wasn't a confidence that we couldn't share. We've, we've been like sisters, Vivian. Like, like sisters, Ma. <laughs> And can I trust you to keep a secret? What is it? I'm pregnant. You're kidding. Aren't you? You're pulling my leg, Maud. Maud? Maud, please pull my leg. Vivian, at age 62, I'll be the mother of an Eagle Scout. Now, in this scene, Carol and Vivian are going to try to convince Maud you don't have to have the baby if you don't want to. Listen, Mother, give me this. You don't have to think that way anymore. It's legal now. You know, she's right. It's legal in New York State. You better give that a thought. I have given it a thought. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. Mother, I'm so sorry. Oh, save it, Carol. She'll need it more later. Say in about six months when she looks like a water buffalo in one of those little flowered tents. <laughs> Thanks, Vivian. I really needed that. Maud, you haven't told Walter yet, have you? You think he'll be pleased? Well, let me put it this way, Vivian. You know how pleased I am. Walter will be twice as pleased. <laughs> So Walter is her fourth husband, a little bit older than she is, and he's going to come home, and she's going to have to talk to him and tell him the news. Come into the kitchen. What's the matter? Did you wreck the car again? Did you hear that, everybody? Did you hear that? Not Maud, are you sick? Or Maud, are you unhappy? Or even Maud, are you pregnant? No, Maud, did you wreck the car again? All right, you're right, darling. I mean, you're absolutely right, and I'm sorry. So tell me, sweetheart... Are you sick? No. Are you unhappy? No. Are you pregnant? Yes. 
What has that guy been in? That actor is named Bill Macy. You probably best know him from Seinfeld. Yes. He plays one of the guys down at the condos. Yes. Now, Carol, Maud's more sophisticated hip daughter, is going to have a moment with her. And once again, much like All in the Family, you listen to these things and you go, it could be written today. Like, you literally could do this story today. Mother, it's ridiculous. My saying this to you, we're free. We finally have the right to decide what we can do with our own bodies. All right, then will you please get yours into the kitchen? <laughs> You're just scared. I am not scared. You are, and it's as simple as going to the dentist. Now I'm scared. <laughs> Mother, listen to me. It's a simple operation oh. now. But when you were growing up, it was illegal, and it was dangerous, and it was sinister, and you've never gotten over that. Now, you tell me that's not true. It's not true. And you're right. I've never gotten over it. It's not your fault. When you were young, abortion was a dirty word. It's not anymore. Now, you think about that. Yes, they will say abortion. Yeah, because it was it, 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 it. So I was yeah. curious if they were going to actually ever say it. And then here's Lorraine, the neighbor who I think you only see in this episode, who comes in to represent the other side of the argument. She has four kids waiting in a station wagon. And here she is talking to Maud. Carol, you see, on top of everything else, I'm preggy. <laughs> I'll let you in on a little secret. I am too. You're kidding. Oh, well, of course you can't tell. I mean, I'm not showing yet. <laughs> Actually, we had planned at stopping up four. Four's a nice family, Lorraine. Why didn't you? I couldn't do that. I mean, each to his own, but I couldn't. I'd, I don't think it's right for me to make that kind of a decision. Besides, what's one more kid? <laughs> oh, listen, by the way, Mort, are you nursing? Uh, no, I was just having coffee. <laughs> okay, so now Walter doesn't want Maud to go through this alone, and he decides he's going to take matters into his own hands, if you know what I mean. Walter, I have a question for you. What is it? Walter, look, I have to know what you want. I mean, a woman has a right to know how her husband feels. I think you know how I feel, Maud. I want whatever you want. And I want what you want, Walter. Then it's settled. Because I trust you to know what I want. Anyway, you won't have to make this decision again. Wait a minute, Walter. What, Walter, what's that supposed to mean? I spoke to Arthur, and he spoke to Dr. Mingo, and he arranged for me to get a vasectomy after golf. <laughs> Finally, after this is at the end of the second part, will she, won't she? This is the scene between Maud and her husband that wraps up everything. I was wondering, well, now that you've had your vasectomy, <laughs> will if anything happen to me? Maud. No, 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 let me finish. Sweetheart, if anything happened to me and you wanted to get married again and you wanted to be a father again, but you couldn't, I mean, have you thought about that, boy? I never wanted to become a father before. Why should I want to become one later on? I don't understand you, Walter. I'm happy to become a father because you want to have a baby, not because I want to become a father. Jen. <laughs> Walter, what are you trying to do? You pick up two cards and you gin. Now, wait a second, Ward. Were you having the baby because you thought I wanted it? Well, you do, don't you? Sweetheart, would it disappoint you too much to learn that becoming a father was never one of my life's ambitions? I, I don't know why. For years, I used to feel guilty about it. For years, people told me I was nuts or selfish. How can I not love kids? Well, I do love kids, but they don't have to be mine. That's probably the worst confession I'll ever make. Do you hate me? Of course not, darling. I love you. I love you, and I love my life. Jen. I take it all back! <laughs> what are you trying to do to me? I don't even have time to sort my cars and 
you're ginning out on me. Forget the cards, Mort. We have something much more important to talk about. What, you finally decided you do want a pickle? Mort, I want you to have whatever it is you want. Does that include the baby? Well, it did when... Well, I thought you wanted it. Well, Mort... I think it would be wrong to have a child at our age. Oh, so do I, Walter. Oh, Walter, so do I. We'd make awful parents. Oh, impatient, irascible. Awful. It's just oh, not our time well, of life. Well, for other people it might be fine, but for us, I, I don't think it would be fair to anybody. Oh, Walter, hold me closer. Are you frightened more? <laughs> About the operation, I oh, mean. Oh, don't be ridiculous, darling. Why should I be frightened? Were you frightened of the vasectomy? <laughs> I said, were you frightened about the vasectomy? I didn't have it. <laughs> you see, I was psychologically unprepared. You can ask Arthur. Uh -huh. Arthur's a doctor. Honey, he told me that... it's all right. It's all right. Just tell me, Walter, that I'm doing the right thing not having the baby. For you, Maud, for me, in the privacy of our own lives, you're doing the right thing. I love you, Walter Finley. And that's it. Next week's episode had Maud being jealous of a friend who was more successful than her. No mention of the abortion ever again. Now, in order to let the audience come upon his sensitive subject unaware, Lear did ask TV Guide and major newspaper weekly television supplements like TV Guide. He's like, don't say the word abortion. I just want you to mention Maud's pregnancy in the capsule synopsis of it. So at this time, CBS had 200 affiliates, which are CBS stations that are mostly led, you know, by local programming. And only two of them said they wouldn't air the episode. That would be WCIA in Champaign, Illinois, and WMBD-TV in Peoria. This was the first time any CBS station told the head honchos, no. WJBK in Detroit originally was not going to air it, but they got pressure in the press, so they decided to keep it on. WCIA, which was in Champaign, Illinois, got slapped with a lawsuit from the National Organization of Women saying they needed to air the episodes. The manager of the station said, quote, we don't think abortion is a proper subject for treatment in a frivolous way in a comedy program. But if you listen to the episode, I think there's a lot of tenderness. Oh, and it's, yeah. it's done with, I think, a lot of delicacy. No, absolutely. So now the figures so far, you know, bear Lear out, which was the first Maud abortion episode, which aired on November 16th, got a 46 to 48% share of the New York, LA television audience. And wow. it jumped from 11th place to 6th place in the Nielsen National Ratings. The second episode got approximately a 44% share in New York and LA, even though its competition on the other network was West Side Story. Oh. Remember, folks, no videos. Up until that point, Maud's audience share in the two cities had been about 38%. To go from, so from 38 to 48 is pretty good. Now, the network received about 373 negative phone calls, 10 positive, 7,000 letters, some supporting, but most protesting Maud's decision. But even though Maud was a popular show and lots of people watched it, it did air in November just as Thanksgiving was about to begin. So maybe people were out doing other things. So the episode actually received like a mild amount of controversy. Now, while all of this is going on, we're going to take a look at Roe v. Wade, which is going to form the background of this Maud episode. In 1971, a woman named Shirley Wheeler was arrested in Florida after having an abortion, and she was charged with manslaughter. Now, Playboy came to her defense. They said they'll give their $35,000, and she was sentenced to two years probation. While the Supreme Court of Florida overturned the case, it really told people this is getting serious, and the Supreme Court of the U.S. would need to weigh in on some point. Once again, this woman was arrested two years manslaughter. If the arrest came as a surprise to some, 
did not come as a surprise to a Texas attorney named Sarah Weddington, and she wanted to get an abortion case in front of the Supreme Court and had been looking for the right client, and right client to her, one who was white, pretty, and of lower economic needs. Her first attempt was to use a woman who said that an abortion was medically necessary for her. She had a disease in which being pregnant would literally kill her, but she still wanted to have sex with her husband and the protection might fail. What was she to do? So she needed to have an abortion if she got pregnant which at the time she wasn't. So this was not going to work because this is a hypothetical. Weddington really wanted the case to be a pregnant plaintiff who wanted the abortion and was living in Dallas because they knew that a three-judge panel in Dallas would have at least one sympathetic judge and that would boost it up. So in 1969, along came 21-year-old Norma McCorvey, white, pretty, lower income, and pregnant. To protect her anonymity, she was named Jane Roe, like... John Doe. And the Wade in Roe versus Wade was Henry Wade, the attorney general of Texas at the time. So in late 71, early 72, the court began to hear arguments, but things did not start swimmingly as Roe's attorney was unaware that the court had decided to hear the case in order to decide which courts had jurisdiction to hear it rather than an attempt to overturn the laws. And the defense attorney for Wade, this was his first remarks to the chief justice, quote, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, it's an old joke, but when a man argues against two beautiful ladies like this, they're going to have the last word. (laughs) That did not uh, go over very well, I think. Finally, after a complicated process on January 22nd, 1973, a couple of months after Maud Ayers, the Supreme Court votes seven to two that women in the United States had a fundamental right to have an abortion. It was seven to two at passed. Seven to two. Yeah. Seven to two. Yeah, seven to two. And now, how would Maud hold up again with the new law now? That takes us to summer reruns. Remember, this was a time when there was no DVR. So, folks, if you missed the episode, you missed the episode, unless you were around for summer reruns. And that is where the abortion episode really skyrocketed. If you missed it the first time, you sure as heck were not going to miss it a second time. This now was the law of the land and the episode that everyone had been talking about previously that maybe you missed. Everyone poised and ready to weigh in on the controversy when the program Mars Dilemma Parts 1 and 2 would be re-aired on August 14th, 1973, and the United States Catholic Conference had spent the time from the first program to the rerun as mobilizing their units, telling people, boycott CBS, boycott any product that advertises on Maud, flood everybody with letters and phone calls saying this is immoral to the nth degree, protesters anti-abortion protesters literally laid down in front of the cars of William Paley and Norman Lear. And this time, the behind the scenes was very different than only a few months earlier. 40 affiliates this time opted not to air the rerun. No corporate sponsor brought airtime. Wow. And now CBS received 17,000 letters of protest. And when they aired the shows again, they put up a warning, quote, tonight's episode of Maud was originally broadcast in November of 1972. Since it deals with Maud's dilemma as she contemplates the possibility of abortion, you may wish to refrain from watching it if you believe the broadcast may disturb you or others in your family. Now, tons of letters flood in to newspapers, and I have to read you some of these letters because... They literally sound like they could have been written today. This is from Muriel E. Sedlerach from the Chicago Tribune. She says, the comedy of Maud is not funny. Maud, to me, portrays a crudely disgusting female. And no matter what the subject of her comedy, it would not be funny to me. Before I retired, I was a public representative for a utility and had to deal with such females. And I don't like to be reminded of it. I do not watch Maud anymore. Richard C. Eaton I must tell you I was most disappointed in the conclusion that making a big joke out of the abortion question has socially redeeming values. And then this one is my favorite. This is from Bernice J. Guthman. Having read your interesting discussion of Maud's Dilemma, I watched the Tuesday rerun. It is really depressing to know that there are people who cannot laugh about it. It is as clever as they come and certainly delightfully portrayed. I am a great-grandmother. Let's hope some wholesome sanity will get through sometime to the super pious. Wow. 19... 
72. Wow. 50 years ago. Feels like it could be written by yesterday. CBS calculated that 65 million viewers saw at least one of Maud's abortion episodes, either during the first run or the rerun. Once again, that is a third of the country. It's crazy. So how did Maud's dilemma change the views on abortion and Maud herself? We'll tell you right after this. This was a thing. This was a thing. And now... This is a sketch. You're watching Antenna TV. Hope that slip disc feels better. Up next, a very special unaired episode from 1966 of The Andy Griffith Show, entitled Aunt Bee's Dilemma, Part 1. Mononope? More and pa, what's a trimester? What, son? A trimester. I know about semesters because we have them in school, but what's a trimester? Now, where in the world did you hear that word? From Aunt B. I heard her talking to Miss Clara, and she said she's just in her first trimester. She did, did she? Well, it's nothing to worry about, Ope. Now run along, now. Phew, Pa. I thought it meant I had to do another semester at school, and I could only do so much homework. <laughs> Andy! You'll never believe what I just heard. What? That Aunt B is pregnant again? That Aunt B is pregnant again? How did you know that? Opie told me. How can you be so calm, Andy? Aren't you going to do something? She's too old to have a baby. You got to nip it. Nip it in the bud. Well, maybe she wants to keep the baby, Barn. Keep the baby? Are you crazy, Andy? She needs to have an A-B-O-R-T-E-N. I-N. That's what I said. No, you said A-B-O-R. Well, excuse me, Emily Post. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Andy, it's Gomer. You know, Gomer down from the filling station? I rotated your tires just last week. What you want, Gomer? I just want to let you know that I was driving by the abortion clinic, and I thought, boy, that's real ugly for this town. You know what I mean? I mean, how are we ever going to compete with Mount Pilot for visitors if we got this big old abortion clinic in the town? Mount Pilot, you know what they just got, Andy? They got a new gas station. Sure did. It's got three pumps. No way to know nothing. Just three pumps, Andy. I sometimes fill up on the weekend because there are less people there. Gomer, now what about the abortion clinic? Oh, yeah. I blew it up. Lit a fuse and shazam! It went up faster than the cat's tail under a rocking chair. All right. I got to go to church now, Andy. I'm singing the solo tonight. Christ the Savior is born. Bye, Andy. Well, where would Aunt be even get an abortion now? No need to worry about that, Bonnie. Andy, would you like some more eggs? Now, hold on a second, Aunt B. Did you solve your dilemma? Well, I, I did, Andy, but let's not dwell on it. Barney, you want any breakfast? Aunt B, you know I'm the sheriff, and if someone is performing an illegal activity in Mayberry, I need to arrest him. Oh, Andy, I promised I wouldn't say, and I haven't broken a promise since I was seven, and I told Henrietta Marsh that I wouldn't tell anyone Clyde Phillips kissed her under the oak tree. Aunt B, you gotta fess up. Don't make me use my one bullet. All right. Well, I decided to call on... Andy Barney, it's good to see you here for a trim. No, Floyd. Now, I gotta ask you a question, and I need you to be real honest with me, okay? Okay, Andy. Did you perform an abortion on Aunt B? Oh, well, I did, but she didn't want anyone to know that Otis's rubber broke. <gasps> me and my big mouth. Well, Floyd, you know, I must arrest you for murder now. Even though it's a woman's right to do whatever she wants with her body? Maybe in some back word foreign countries, but this here is America, buddy. And here we nip it, nip it in the butt. Now, let's get moving before you do any more A-B-O-R-T-E-O-N-S's. I-O-N-S, I think, Barney. Enough of your 
your sass, mister! All right, but can I do one more thing? Well, what's that? I need to reschedule Thelma Lou's perm. Hello, Thelma Lou? It's Floyd the Barber. Can I reschedule you? Maybe Wednesday? In 15 to 20 years? <laughs> Thank you. This was a sketch. Maud then went on for a few more seasons and gave us good times and tackled other hot-button domestic issues like alcoholism, spousal abuse. Walter's an alcoholic and he slaps Maud. Bankruptcy, suicide, drug laws, Maud gets manic depression. And in one of the most iconic episodes, and if you're an actor listening to this, please watch this episode. Maud goes to a psychiatrist, and the only person in the episode is B. Arthur. It is like a 23-minute monologue. What? There's no other characters. There's no other actors. It's her in the psychiatrist's office literally giving you a 23-minute monologue. I think she won the Emmy for it. It's so brilliant. And as the years waned on, like any other show, kind of lost its edge, and it became incredibly broad and bizarre. You know how that happens with Mod TV shows. Mod got broad. Mod got broad. So after seven years and the ratings really slipping, it went from like ninth to 24th. Last episode ended, Maud became a congresswoman and the show went off the wow. air in 1978. Now what's interesting is in an exit interview with the New York Times, B. Arthur said if she knew now how people felt about abortion, she doesn't know if she would have allowed the character to have one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now listen, I worship the goddess that is B. Arthur. You know this. But there's a reason, I think, why Maud is not shown so much anymore today, which is a lot of the domestic issues they're dealing with. God bless Norman Lear for being the first to talk about them, but they feel kind of, the way they approach it now feels sure. a little dated in some of them, in some of them. But, and this is a big but, oh. Lear did something so unique in the history of television with Maud's Dilemma. Maud was an adjusted, grounded, intelligent woman who had the means to have a child, had had a child, and was healthy enough to give birth to one, but she and her husband in the sanctity of their home decided it was not a good idea. You feel like that storyline would be the storyline we would see on TV now, mm -hmm. but abortion on TV has been in retrograde ever since. Everything about this episode is backwards. You feel like this episode should be on now in 2022, and the episodes that talk about abortion now where people are doing it because they're poor or they're unaf they're afraid or they, you know, that feels like that's the show from 1970. And this, the writing on Maude, it, it's, it's all in reverse. So why? I think it's fear. I think it's fear of presenting abortion as a logical, rational health act made by a pregnant person. It's fear from the religious right. It's fear from nervous sponsors. If a TV show was going to show abortion, it would always be presented, like I said, by a person in a bad situation mm -hmm. that really had no choice. The choice is no choice. That's the choice, right? Yeah. So I did some research and I discovered that since Maud's abortion episode in 1972, 17 episodes that I could count of television shows, think of all the TV shows from 1972 to now, about 17 of them dealt with abortion in some way. And every time it dealt with abortion, it was always done as a punishment. You have something like Days of Our Lives where like the character of Mimi gets an abortion and her punishment is now she's going to be infertile. Or on a different world, Kim is pregnant and it's a false alarm. So there's always a cop out. There's always a way out of it. One of the most interesting ones that I found was Sex in the City. Oh, wow. SATC, huh? SATC, in which Cynthia Nixon's character is pregnant and says, I think I'm going to have an abortion. And two of the other friends are like, oh, we've had abortions. And then at the end, Cynthia Nixon's like, oh, no, I'm going to have the baby. What's interesting about that is, is, first of all, she doesn't have the abortion. And if there is an abortion being presented, it's done in the past tense. Mm -hmm. We don't see it. Yeah. So why is TV so scared? They'll tackle everything else and it's slant towards social progression, always validate it. Why not abortion? Why is it not being brought out of the closet? Why is it not debated on television? When you watch Maud's Dilemma, which is now 50 years old, you sit there and regardless where you fall, you listen and you understand both sides. Can you imagine? I don't think Maud has the dilemma. It's the networks. It is just, it's fascinating that 50 years and there hasn't really been 
a show that, like, like you said, Maude presented both sides. How are we going backwards in this subject? No, I cannot think of any other subjects where it's going backwards. Race on TV, homosexuality on TV. Everything yeah. seems to be moving forward, and abortion is like, I'm so terrified. Can you imagine this episode on today? Everybody would be freaking out about it. The number of articles that you would read on every fucking blog post of, they didn't mention the fact as a 47-year-old woman, the baby would have blah, blah, blah. They didn't mention the Lord, blah, blah. You know what I mean? It would just be all of these things and nobody would understand what the fuck in the show that was about. You can agree with Maud, you can disagree with Maud, but they actually had it in an open discussion, mm -hmm. which I think is fascinating. And like I said, I think the writing on it is brilliant. Mm -hmm. So Susan Harris and, and the Kalishes who also wrote it, fabulous, fabulous, fabulous work. And I think it holds up. I think the first couple of seasons are available on Apple and I think some on Amazon. Uh, somebody uploaded a bunch of episodes on YouTube. It is a loud fucking show. They just literally scream at each other from start to finish. And if you're okay with that, more power to you. And the actor who played Walter, Bill Macy, was an incredible character actor. I'm trying to find what I know him from. Oh, he was in The Jerk. Ah, The Jerk. Yes, he's in that's The Jerk. It, yeah, he's yes. the guy with the glasses. Yes, the, he's the in glasses The Jerk. Guy. Yep. Yeah, sorry. That's exactly right. Because I, I knew I knew, I knew him from like a bit of like that. Whoa, my glass. Oh, my glass. Yeah. Oh, he's so funny. Yeah. I mean, he, and he just passed away somewhat recently. Really funny, funny actor. 2019. Oh, wow. 97 years old. 97. God bless Bill Macy. My favorite thing about him, though, was he was uh, he starred on Broadway in a play called O Calcutta, which was an all naked play. Yeah. So you will see a lot of nudity on Maud, not like pp and butt but like he walks around naked a lot on the show like in his underwear and in a towel uh, this is from his wikipedia that i'm on of appearing fully nude with the rest of the cast in the stage show he said the nudity didn't bother me i'm from brooklyn <laughs> yes bill macy <laughs> <laughs> my schmeckle was out all the time when i was walking around the brooklyn but he would scream it Maud! <laughs> my schmeckle's out Maud, should we play a game <laughs> with my schmeckle out this was a thing, and now it's a quiz. This is a This Was a Quiz. With Mark Schroeder. All right, now it is time for a game with our good friend, Mr. Mark Schroeder. Mark, how you been, buddy? I've been great. Thank you very much for having me back. I'm excited. We are excited to have you back. Ray, are you excited? I'm, I'm very excited. I, I can tell. So, Mark, yes. we talked today about a very special episode very. of Maud. Uh, now, what do you have for us as a game? Well, that inspired me to come up with a game. Lots of episodes of, of famous shows have had very special episodes. So the title of this game is called On a Very Special Episode. I am going to read 10 synopses of shows that we all know and love. And you're going to decide if it is really a very special episode that actually aired or if it's some dark machination from my sinister brain that I made up. So you're going to okay. say, is this true or false? Okay. That this was truly a very special episode. <laughs> okay. 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 All right. So here we go. And you're working together on this. So oh. here we go. Tonight on a very special episode of Leave it to Beaver. The beaver unwittingly serves alcohol to the cleaver's house painter, a recovering alcoholic who then relapses. I think this is true. I yeah, I could see that. I think being I, true. I think I saw this episode. This was a real episode of yes. Leave It to Beaver. <laughs> Tonight, on a very special episode of Charles in Charge, Charles catches Buddy sneaking drinks from Grandpa Walter's bourbon cabinet in order to unwind from a stressful finals week. I could see that being. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to say yeah? I say yeah. Okay, true. That was a made-up, very made special up. episode that uh, never happened. Yeah, Rob was looking at me like it was made up. But... What was the grandpa's name? Grandpa Walters. That was good. Yeah. Grandpa I mean, Walters. I mean, it's the specifics that make a good lie. Anyone <laughs> out there is listening. The specifics Hear make that, a everyone. good lie. Tonight, on a very special episode of Punky Brewster. Oh, I love Punky Brewster. I, I, I can... A very special episode. Yes. Sherry nearly suffocates while playing hide-and-seek inside an old refrigerator. This is 110% percent true this is a real one <laughs> she gets stuck in the refrigerator and george gains like thank you where's jerry and the only way they found <laughs> the only way they found jerry was because he wanted to make a souffle and the recipe was in the fridge and i had to open the fridge and <sighs> lo and behold there it was but jerry it's inching into orson wells yeah tonight on a very special episode of Mr. Belvedere. Wesley Owens goes swimming with Counselor Perry, who gets a little too 
touchy-feely while helping him dry off. I think that's true. Yeah, that seems true. Counselor Perry. That's a true one. Counselor Perry. (laughs) Counselor Perry, Mr. Belvedere. And Bryce Beckham was the kid. Tonight, on a very special episode of The Addams Family, (laughs) when Gomez catches Pugsley sipping one of Grandmama's potions, he decides to teach him a lesson by making him drink all of it until Pugsley turns into a chimpanzee. I I mean, it seems like something John Aston's character would do. It sounds logical, but then on some hand, I'm like, I don't know if they would cover like special things on the Adams Family. But it's a teaching moment still within the realm of the Adams Family. I just remember the episode where Cousin It got alopecia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to say it's false, right? But you, you do you. Okay, we can go with Rob's false. It is false. That uh, one is made up. That is made up. That uh, is fictional. Could have been a real one. Who knows? I mean, that was within the realm of the Adams family. Within if they the world. wanted to like be like, well, we that's still a freebie. Do hey, teaching look, moment. That's a yes. freebie. If the writers want to yeah. take that one, it's there. <laughs> it's on the whiteboard. Let's see. You guys are doing pretty good so far. Um, I'm not keeping score, but I feel like you're doing great. <laughs> but it feel, yeah. Oh, it definitely it feels, feels like we're winning. You feel like yeah, you're winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the most important thing of any competition. Um, tonight on a very special episode of All in the Family. <laughs> it's always a special episode. Ain't it? We got yeah. an a special episode here. A man masquerading as a detective assaults Edith Bunker in her living room. Wait a minute. I know that this happens. I know that, that it was called Edith's 50th birthday. But here's the thing. I how, If there's a part of it that's false, <laughs> here's the thing. I don't think he was a detective. I thought he was like a salesman, like a door-to-door salesman that came in. You say it's a, maybe that's how he got in with the fake bet. Oh damn it! I don't remember that part. I this is hard because I, I know that that is an episode, but I don't know if there's an element of it that's false. I wouldn't be that sneaky. It is true. That okay. is that okay. was true. Okay. According to my research that I found, he comes in as a detective, uh, probably describing right. a, yeah. like a rapist in the in the neighborhood. Yes. Oh yes. Basically himself tonight on a very special episode of Growing Pains. Mike Seaver offers to be designated driver after Boner gets drunk at a homecoming party, but ends up crashing the car when Boner throws up on the gear shift. I think that's false. I I remember there was a very special episode of Growing Pains, and it was where Matthew Perry died. He was in a he was a in a DUI prescient. I think. Pres- prescient. I remember I had Growing Pains with Boner. <laughs> I'm gonna say it's false. What do you say, right? I say it's false. It's false. Yay! Tonight. On a very special episode of Happy Days. (laughs) After catching the captain of the football team offering Richie a reefer cigarette, the Fonz must decide if their friendship will survive. Ooh, I bet you, yeah, Fonz feels like an anti-drug. Oh, yeah, Fonz is definitely an anti-drug. His office is out of a bathroom, so. No, I think it's, I think it's true. It's true. Right? I think it's true. I feel like Reefer would have been something that they would have experimented with on uh, in the 50s. Yeah. Happy Days. That is fiction. That is made what? up. Oh. Oh, wow. A Reefer cigarette. You, that's what you got me with. The it. Reefer cigarette. Oh, that was good, Mark. The, thank you. <laughs> hey. Okay, we're getting we're closing in here. <laughs> and you guys are just doing great. We are definitely over 5 out of 10. For sure. For Mark's sure. dilemma sure. is I don't know how to shut off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where the stop button is. Tonight, on a very special episode of Little House on the Prairie. Oh, shit. Sylvia is attacked and raped by a local blacksmith who stalks young girls on the prairie wearing a mime mask. You know, that sounds so weird, but it also sounds like something I would not be surprised to see in a 70s TV show. Not surprised at all. Oh, this is hard. I'm going to say true. I go, okay, we're going to say true. True. What? actually... A mime mask? That actually happened. Here's the final one. Oh, this is the final? If this is... A real episode or fiction tonight on a very special episode of ALF. <laughs> I'm already in. When Lynn's high school boyfriend gets too handsy after their date, ALF decides to teach him a lesson by faking an alien abduction. That sounds very ALFy. ALF! Where's Lynn's boyfriend? <laughs> I killed him, Willie. Willie with a bat for ju- a justice for episode. his daughter. Dateline ALF. <laughs> Keith Morrison. A furry little creature. So cute. So small, so deadly. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? Okay, um, uh, so Alf fakes an alien abduction to scare him. I feel like that's... I would believe yeah, that. Yeah, I believe that. That is fiction. That is oh, made up. Oh. Made up. Oh, wow. 
Well, Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Mark. Go watch uh, uh, Maud's Dilemma Parts 1 and 2. And if you have a very special episode that you like. <laughs> if you're currently going through a very special episode, <laughs> yeah, exactly. contact. We're here yeah. for you. You have a spec script. Do you, you have any ideas for one? <laughs> we could figure out a spec script for any family you want. Take it out of a hat. We'll yeah. work them in. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's called an exercise for us. It's like Etsy, but creepier. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everybody. I love you. Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing's Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was a Thing Pod and Facebook. We are This Was a Thing Podcast. Reach out. We'd love to hear from you. And if you really liked what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors, and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was a Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show.